Women are inspired and empowered by prestige, wealth, and influence. And that's actually something, when you think historically, women have been taught that talking about money, wanting power, is very unfeminine. That's my friend Jen Hayes, a partner in our Atlanta office, talking about her recent gender parity research that explores what inspires women to reach for the C-suite. I'm Keith Bevins, a partner and global head of consultant recruiting at Bain & Company, and this is Beyond the Bio. It's a podcast that shares the stories of our extraordinary people from their perspectives. You can read their bios online, but those barely scratch the surface of who they are and the important work they're doing here at Bain. Today we'll talk with Jen about her background, some of the retail transformation work she has been doing and is doing today, and her leadership with Bain's Global Women's Leadership Council. Jen, welcome. Good to have you here. Thanks for having me. Now, Jen, you and I go back quite a ways. We met, I think, in 2003 when we were training associate consultants out in Massachusetts somewhere. But I want to chat a little bit about your background in life before Bain to bring everyone up to speed. Why don't we start with undergrad? I know that you worked for a few years in private equity investment banking, but how did you end up there? What was the career plan and what was the career path? No master plan, I'm afraid, but I think that's probably similar for lots of undergrads. I think leaving undergrad, I knew I wanted to get a job and move somewhere. (laughs) And so I I went to Wellesley College, which is a small, relatively small school. And I think back then, actually only about a third of us graduated and got jobs versus going to grad school. And so, you know, as you can imagine with your recruiting hat on, it wasn't a terribly efficient place for companies to recruit. But the banks did recruit there and, you know, I got a chance to understand investment banking. I like the idea of a training program and somewhere to learn a bit more about business, given that I had a liberal arts background. And from there, I did a few years in investment banking and then networked into private equity through some clients. And and that was a a fascinating and, and exciting experience as well. So how long did you spend in banking before you made the jump to private equity? And and what was the rationale for the jump? How did you think about the career decision versus doing something else or doing something in your major? I did the standard investment banking analyst program. So I stayed two and a half years or so. And I think actually, you know, similar to our own AC program, right? There's that third year where you make a decision. Uh, And I didn't feel quite ready to go back for my MBA. And and I had some great clients that sort of recruited me over to private equity in the industry where I was focused, which at the time was energy. And it just seemed like a new experience, an interesting new way to get more on the, the buy side, if you will and sort of get a a new skill set. So at the end of that, you decide to go to business school. And what was your plan or how did you think about that decision? A lot of people listening to this are at different stages of the journey and a bunch of them are thinking about, is it worth leaving and going back to business school? How does that fit into the bigger picture? What was your decision process like and what was going on outside of work that may have been a factor in some of that decision that you were thinking through? Absolutely. You know, honestly, I think at that point, somewhere in my mind was at some point grad school was important. But I I got to a point where I honestly felt a little stuck. I think people feel that way in in lots of parts of their lives, right? I, I was living in New York City. I hadn't really met anyone. I was the only analyst actually at this PE fund. And so I didn't have a really big base of colleagues. One of the things that was was a, a bit of a factor, actually, I talked to the, the guys that I worked for, for most of the guys at the time, about going. And they, they said, you don't need to go. You don't need an MBA. And in fact, we'll pay you first year Wharton salary immediately just to stay. Right. And and then I sat back and I thought, but but you all went to Harvard and Stanford and Wharton and your children are actually in grad school. 
And so to me, it was a bit of a, you know, I knew that I could stay and they would treat me well and there would be a career there. But I also knew I would continue to be stuck where I was and have fewer opportunities. And so it was a bit of a valuable lesson for me in kind of trusting your gut, especially when you had trusted superiors and advisors that are giving you advice that might not feel right for you. Because it, for me, it was it was important to go and it, it, it broadened out a set of options for the future that were meaningful. And, and I got unstuck. <laughs> So how did you get that advice from from your network? Because I think it is well-meaning, well-intended, but potentially self-serving advice for them to pay you to keep you. Uh, so presumably you had a network of people uh, on your crew, as we like to refer to it at Bain, that sort of said, mm, that's great that they want you, but you should consider going. Where were those relationships and where did you get that advice from? Those were some of the same fun guys, but they were more one of the guys that I worked for had gone to UVA. And it was interesting. You talk about separation and difference of perspective. There were several of the fund MDs that weren't where we were in Greenwich. <laughs> they weren't part of that, you know, running of the firm. They were a little bit on the outside themselves, mm-hmm. to be honest. Yep. And they had just a different perspective on on the world and and what you might want to do. And so, and then I also had family and friends. And looking back to my uh, investment banking colleagues uh, and, and what they were doing and how they were thinking about prospects. So then when you get to business school, what was your career journey like there, given that obviously since we're talking, you went back to professional services. What did you go into business school expecting to do on the back end? You know, I I wasn't sure, you know, take, taking it a day at a time. But obviously you get to business school and I think one of the challenges is, you know, you're hardly there 60 days and you're starting to recruit, right? And so, you know, I recruited for quite a, I would say a huge range of opportunities, probably uh, that first year in business school. And actually the most interesting one that that came about was being a summer associate at Bain. And so I joined for the summer in the Atlanta office and it was just incredibly valuable summer to sort of understand the job and feel mm-hmm. the culture and it, it just fit. And I think that's obviously always a challenge in our, our recruiting because you only get a snippet of the firm, right, at a, at a session or a presentation, but I was lucky to be able to stay. And then, you know, when we were looking for full, deciding on full-time, it was a natural choice for me. And I felt the same about investment banking had been such a great experience mm-hmm. learning. I didn't know where I wanted to focus, to be honest. And I think the other offer I was considering was with a company that made sheets. <laughs> and so it sort of like, am I ready to, to be a sheet executive? <laughs> Or do I maybe want to broaden it out, right? And think about, um, and, and not not have to choose right now. Because I, I know that people, you know, stay at Bain lots of different amounts of time. And it's a great springboard for whatever you want to do. Right. Now, when you made the shift, you said you were living in New York. And then you went to Darden. And you ended up summering in Atlanta. Was yeah. that a weather-driven change or some type of family-driven change? <laughs> Honestly, you know, back in the, back in the day... At Darden, at the Atlanta office was essentially, the Atlanta office of Bain was in charge of Darden recruiting. So if you wanted to work for Bain back in the day, it was Bain Atlanta. And I actually enjoyed coming further south and certainly from Boston. Um, my blood has thinned as I've gotten to the hot weather, that's for sure. As the husband of a Georgia Tech alum who also was on the West Coast at Stanford, <laughs> she reminds me about the Chicago weather on a regular basis, in fact. I want to shift a little bit and talk about some of the things you're doing at Bain. 
since we've met in 2003, we've, we've gone on a lot of different paths, as we like to say, building our own Bane. But let's talk a little bit about some of the client work that you did first, and then maybe talk about some of the contributions you're making to our women's program. But I know that you're an expert in retail and strategy practices. Can you talk about some of the big work that you've done and some of the contributions you've made to the business on that side? Absolutely. So yes, I've been focused on retail probably for the last decade. And actually in that time, I've been lucky enough to have you know several important clients, but in particular, a large retailer where I've probably spent half of that time and helping them with all aspects of a full transformation from store operations all the way through to omni-channel offers. And, you know, and it's a business that's thriving and the stock price and the time that, that we've worked with them has uh, more than doubled. And I think one thing that I find really important in my journey about this is kind of halfway through that time, I took an LOA. And so I was, you know, ready for another maternity leave, but not a fourth child. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's really important, right, to recharge frequently and rebalance and, and take that time. And so... I took a summer off. I had a blast. The kids and I had a, a real summer, right? And when I returned, I wasn't sure if there would be an opportunity to go back to that account, right? Because, you know, it, the, the nice thing about project work is it's flexible. But the thing about project work is when you're not doing it, someone else is doing it, right? right. And so when I returned, there were some movements on the account on our side, and the main client requested me to be his primary coverage. And so I ended up running, you know, one of the top 10 accounts at Bain, and I still am. And for me, you know, obviously a vote of confidence from the client, but also from Bain, right? You know, I've never hidden the fact that being a mom is way more important to me than being a Bain partner. But that doesn't mean that I'm not dedicated and that I don't give my full self to being a Bain partner. I think you can, you know, you can be across a lot of priorities and passions, one of which we'll talk about as Bain's Global Women's Leadership Council. But, you know, I think Bain understands that and appreciates that and has always let me kind of define my own career and, and and allowed me to have opportunities regardless of other important things going on in my life. Yeah. And, and when you when you say you came back from your LOA and ended up leading one of the top 10 accounts at the firm, how big a surprise was that? Were you concerned? Were you scared? Were you sort of thankful? Were you eager, excited? What's the range of emotions that you feel when you get tapped to do something like that by the client? You know, this isn't a Bane decision. This is the client saying, is she back in the game? Because I, I want, yeah, she's my number one draft pick as we go forward with this. You know, I think it's like everything in your professional career, including, you know, selling big programs of work. There's a bit of celebration and like, yes, this is an important moment and you got to bask in it. But then there's like an oh God right after. Right. Like I've got a lot now that I have to execute on a team that's depending on me. And, you know, so but I also know that the, the great thing about working at Bain is it's a team sport. So, yes, I am helping to lead this thing. But there are a dozen partners who are also part of part of the team and working together. And it really is a, a team sport, which makes it fun, sustainable and manageable. You also mentioned that this was your, your LOA for for your family. How did you manage your career through the LOAs as well? Because you, you did mention that you have a, a multiple kids and that you took this fourth LOA. Were you full time throughout your entire career as a consultant, as a manager, as a partner? And how did you how did you balance all of those things? I was not uh, full-time. So I probably, if I've been at Bain 20 years, I've been part-time 15 of those years in different forms and fashions. And so when I was a manager, I think my entire manager career, I was 60% and largely driven by the fact that I had really small children. 
and I wanted to be there for them. And it, and it took different manifestations of you know, days off versus afternoons off. It just depended on the life stage the kids were at and what I was trying to achieve at the time. And then as a partner, I've done different models. Right now I'm 100%, but it's in a different role, right? And it's a, and it's a different kind of requirement on me. So I can balance it and the kids are at a different stage. They're honestly so busy most of the time from seven to four, then much matter what mom is doing, as long as I can hit dinner time and you know make sure everyone's doing what they're supposed to be doing. And that's been really important, right? The flexibility is there and you just need to define what it is that you want to get out of the experience. And there's there's a lot of paths of pain, which I think is, is the exciting part. But the fact that a mostly part-time path, more mom than Bane partner, could still lead to a career leading one of the most important clients that we have and, you know, being on an important governance body for Bain and, 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 right. It's, there's opportunity regardless, right. And, and your career path isn't limited by other choices that you make. Yeah. And, and as somebody who's, you know, again, known you for a long time, watching you balance those things and make those trade-offs is always admirable and, and inspirational in a lot of ways, because there's a lot of people at Bain that have multiple big passions you don't lead such a large account if you're not passionate about the industry and the client, but you also don't make those trade-offs if you're not passionate about other things. In addition to those big things and some of the governance work that you're doing at Bain, you also work with our Global Women's Leadership Council. Can you share a little bit at a high level about what the GWLC does and then talk a little bit about your role and how that organization and that body within Bain has made such a big difference in our business? So this is my passion project. <laughs> <laughs> and I always tell my kids, you do hard work, you do the right work, and then you get to do the things that you want to do. Right. It, it's a little of that. The simple goal of the GWLC, which is the Global Women's Leadership Council, is to grow women leaders and ensure all our women at Bain thrive. And, and we do this by, it, it's a group fight, right? The entire leadership team, male and female, comes together. And we've got to make sure we've got the right programs and policies and culture to support our women. And so this sort of center organization, which is, is what I lead, um, you know, we define the overall strategy. We look for the right programs and policies. Uh, we handle measurement and tracking, which gives our senior leaders the data and the tools that they need to hold people accountable for the results that we want. And we manage our external voice, which we'll talk about a little in mm -hmm. a little bit around some of our research. But then Bain also has robust local programs in every office that support our women and sort of take some of these big ideas and translate them down to the region in the office and really personalize them for every woman. Because I think the context in New York City versus Atlanta versus Dubai versus South Korea or Moscow is incredibly different, right? And, and given the life stage and what types of women you have and where they are in their journey, you just have to be able to, to tailor the local experience. Mm -hmm. And so for me, this has been a place I have a real passion for spending time. Many uh, women face just a different path in their career. And it's for lots of reasons that, that we all know, right? We face unconscious bias, there's challenging cultural norms, and that's sort of both macro and micro aggressions. We're six times more likely to be the primary caregiver and we're 60% more likely to have a spouse with as demanding a job. Mm -hmm. And so our path just takes more energy, more resilience and more perseverance. And so we have to recognize that and build in the support and flexibility to make sure that it works. And so in the time since we stood up the GWLC, we've more than doubled the number of women on our leadership team. Women are overrepresented in every management and governance body that Bain has. 
and we are looking at every month and quarter our promotion, our recruitment, our retention, and making sure that everything is in line with driving to our aspirational goals. And, you know, I think I'm proud to say that opportunities for women to grow and lead at Bain are the same as our opportunities for men. What's been really neat for me to see, especially in the last decade or so, are some of the more visible changes that we're seeing in the leadership of the firm. You know, I look at you know, who our school team leads are in my organization, and, you know, it went from all male seven or eight years ago to more than half of the school team leads being female. And that's not to say that, you know, it's necessarily a conscious decision to, you know, mix the gender of the schools. It's just recognizing when it's time for people to step up and lead, having that bench cultivated and ready to go. It's just a natural transition, but it's driven by a lot of the work and a lot of the leadership that the GWLC is doing to put people in positions to be ready and, and get that call when it comes. So it's been really exciting to see. It has. We have a, an amazing bench of female leaders and it's exciting. Now, one of the things that the GWLC does in terms of, in addition to rewiring the Bain processes and our approach to, to gender diversity, is actually doing research and looking at gender parity and, and publishing and things like that. You, I think, have led at least one, if not multiple efforts on that. Can you talk a little bit about the research that you're doing there? I would love to. And as a little advertisement, Bain.com. Go to the Insights tab, and we have an entire site on gender parity where all of our research can be found. A lot of research over the years have been done by many, many people on the classroom and the boardroom. And so we've actually historically focused most of our research on the conference room, the cubicle, the manager's office, those places where we actually believe mid-career women fall out of the workforce. And that actually has a lot more to do with your day-to-day -day interactions, those moments of truth in dealing with your sort of frontline supervisor that are really what chips away or alternatively encourages confidence and aspiration. And so we spent a lot of time and research on sort of what frontline managers can do. In our more recent research, which you'll see online, we've delved a little more deeply into what really makes women want to go for the big jobs. And we found Above all else and on all the factors that we tested, they need to be inspired and empowered. And I think a few of the things that were a bit different in this research versus others is women are inspired and empowered by prestige, wealth, and influence. And that's actually something when you think historically, women have been taught that talking about money, wanting power is very unfeminine, right? So if you think in corporate America, especially, we don't talk as much to our women about the benefits, the full benefits of these top jobs as we do to our male colleagues, right? And so there's a factor in there where really proactively sharing the value proposition for these roles. And for many women, it wasn't just the wealth, but honestly, these are hard jobs and you wouldn't want them uh, if you weren't going to keep you. You're giving up other things to take them, right? The CEO level jobs in particular. So yes, the wealth is important, but for a lot of women, it was the influence and the prestige to be able to, you know, influence the causes that they care about, lift up other women or other groups, participate, give, donate to things that matter and secure their family's future. So there's a lot in there versus just the money, but we need to talk more about the benefits of reaching these jobs and be more candid. And then showing, of course, which has always been important, that there's lots of paths to leadership 
and it's not just the, the straight line, in showing a diverse set of role models where people can look up and say, you know, I can see myself getting there because I see people like me and people that whose lives I actually aspire to in those jobs. And so it becomes incredibly important to have that diversity at the top. And I think the other thing that we've, we've spent a lot of time on is that's sort of what we think institutions and organizations can do, but we play a role too as women, right? We need to ask for what we want. We need to know what we want. We need to get comfortable understanding our value and talking about compensation. And then we need to work with our network and our advisors to know if we want if we want to be the CFO someday, what are the steps to get there? What are the jobs I need to have? And where am I on these succession plans? And using the resources that you have to figure that out. Yeah, it's interesting because part of the solution, as somebody who led our Blacks at Bain group for a decade, you know, part of the solution that, that I, I hear you describing is being a self-advocate. But what's, what's interesting is I don't know that every organization has fully appreciated the fact that they have to rewire themselves to be receptive for that self-advocacy when it happens. And I like to sort of say, you know, I try and role model that behavior as best I can, but it's also incumbent on me to train my organization to be receptive to that feedback and that self-advocacy when it happens. I like to say, um, you know, as a, as a father of two sons, you know, I need to raise my sons to be the men that I would want my daughter to work for. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not the way I think a lot of people think about it. You know, they think about it as well. That sounds like a really interesting problem, Jen, but I have sons. And I'm like, no, 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 your sons are going to have to be part of the solution if we want to solve exactly. this thing. Um, and it is a lot about, I think, a lot of the unconscious bias work that we're doing. It's a lot of that. It's just thinking about if a man comes to you and says, you know, if you don't give me that next job, I'm, I'm probably going to leave. Versus a woman saying that exact same thing to a lot of people, it just comes off you know, brazen and, and difficult. And so there, there is a whole cultural norm around why this is, but we need to, organizations need to break it. And then we need to know that we've got to clear the, clear the path as well. So Jen, as we start to wrap up, you know, as you talk through the research, you talk through the takeaways, what's some of the response been? What have some of the, the junior female employees at Bain, you know, what are they saying about this and how is it changing their journey? Maybe in ways that you didn't get to experience when you were earlier in your career, but what's the feedback been internally and what's next? Yes. So the feedback internally has been great. And I do think we are probably more transparent than the average organization around the value proposition of staying at Bain. And we always have been, and it's been across gender and affinity groups. So that hasn't been as big a need as maybe we see in some of our corporate clients. But I think seeing the path to leadership, we spent a lot of time talking through different journeys and people sharing their stories. And of course, as you mentioned before, the, the sheer diversity that we now have in our leadership team allows for lots of role models. And, you know, there's lots of people that have taken time off for all kinds of things, right? And it's not just always about being a mother but or a father, but you can be more balanced. And, and so people are starting to see just a variety of ways that they can thrive. And so that's been a big sort of push of our kind of internal communications and programming and, and will continue to be. And I think our women, as we've pushed more into sponsorship, which I think is incredibly important for women, they've learned to self-advocate. They've learned to take more responsibility and sort of self-advocacy because I think that that's really that's really what it takes nobody does it on their own even people that tell you they've done it on their own <laughs> and so the question is who is your crew that's going to put you on their back and help you over the line right who's who's going to be your advocate and making sure that you have them 
Awesome. Well, Jen, thanks for joining today. As somebody I've known for a long time, it's always good to catch up, even if for the world to see on a podcast. But it's always great to talk with you and, and, and see your career continue progressing and, and take new paths in leadership in the firm. So thanks for joining and appreciate all the insights. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to Beyond the Bio. If you'd like to share a review or give us input on what you'd like to hear on the podcast, we'd really like to hear from you please email our inbox at beyondthebio at bain.com. We'll see you soon with some new episodes and thanks for listening.